Hello, I'm Kim Katola, host of Cradle My Heart Radio. Our mission is preventing abortion and helping those it hurts. And our vision is to bring abortion recovery to the church, reaching out to equip and encourage pastors, elders, ministry leaders, and others so they can minister God's love to the millions of Christians personally impacted by this moral crisis of our time. Saving lives and healing hearts, this is Cradle My Heart Radio. Find us online at cradlemyheart.org. Where can you find God's voice in the noise on reproductive choice? For over a million women and men each year, the question goes beyond politics to become much more pressing and personal, both before and after the choice. And we are called to love the little children just as God does. Listen to Cradle My Heart Radio with your host, Kim Katola, speaker, writer, and broadcaster, sharing God's truth to prevent abortion and help those it hurts. Learn more at cradlemyheart.org. I hope you will visit and find all of the resources that we have endeavored to put there for you because trying to research the issue of abortion has never been more challenging. My road uh, from abortion and recovering abortion, my road to faith, which was really, um, that was the big challenge for me was faith because of the abortion in my past. Um, All of that unfolded as I was pursuing my career as a broadcaster, which involved being a researcher. And back in the day, 20 years ago, it was actually a little bit easier to find good, solid information about abortion. Um, Although anyone who managed to tell the truth was immediately smeared by the abortion industry as junk science, what they used to call it, fake news we would call it today. But you could still find the truth. It's even more challenging now. And one of the statistics that I was always, um, that I was, that I was very, very surprised to find, and that I think others always find surprising if they don't know it, is that abortions as practiced in our world today uh, for the cases of rape involve less than 1% of the abortions that are performed. And yet, abortion proponents, pro-abortion uh, viewpoint, <laughs> talking points includes uh, weaponizing victims of rape as, you know, being the reason why abortion needs to remain legal for the 99% of rapes that have nothing to do with the crime and personal tragedy of rape. So we're going to dig into that today. And I'm very pleased to have our guest, Rebecca Kiesling, to help us navigate these waters because I've never met anyone better at doing so. Rebecca is an international pro-life speaker, attorney, wife. She's a mother of five, and she's founder and president of Save the One, as well as co-founder of Hope After Rape Conception. Uh, Rebecca, welcome to Cradle My Heart Radio. It's so good to speak with you again. Thank you. And I I will say, uh, to your credits, <laughs> you also really persuaded me that the idea of exceptions in laws against abortion, exceptions for cases of rape and incest, have no ethical basis in the pro-life worldview. And I don't know if you want to start there, um, but I, I think that it was the way that you made that case for me was so persuasive uh, and really irrefutable. So I want to, at some point in our conversation, give you the chance to do that. Maybe you want to start with um, your story and uh, why this I- issue is so important to you personally. Okay. Well, I was conceived in rape. My birth mother had been abducted at knife point by a serial rapist. 
And she actually went to two illegal abortions, and I was almost aborted, but she backed out because of fear for her own safety and the fact that it was illegal. When we met, she was so happy to meet me, but she told me, when I asked her about abortion, she told me that if it had been legal, she absolutely would have aborted me and that it should have been her right. Um, She maintained that position for the next six years and then changed her mind about abortion, and now decades later we're both thankful that we were protected. Four years before Roe was decided, I was born exactly three and a half years before Roe versus Wade. Um, so I literally owe my birth to the law which protected me. Um, unfortunately, within the pro-life movement, the number one response to what about in cases of rape for the last five decades has been to say it's only 1%. Um, and that's hurt some politicians, you know, when they've kind of, you know, diminished the instance and, you know, then they accuse them of, like, not caring about rape victims. And then from our perspective, it's like, well, what percentage do we have to be before we matter? I mm. mean, Asians are only 1%. Muslims are only 1% of the population. You know, but we have our Bill of Rights to protect, as it says in the Bible, the least of these. Right? And and we have this principle in the law that you do not punish innocent people for someone else's crime. And that's also biblical, that you're not to punish the child for the sins of the father, that each is to be punished for his own sin. And so that's like the kind of message that we punish rapists, not babies. Um, I founded Save the One, which is a global pro-life organization. I literally have a database, a network of over 1,100 of us who were conceived in rape like me and mothers who became pregnant by rape. Um, so many of those mothers are really hurt by the rhetoric, you know, where people use their rape, their plight, their tragedy and trauma to justify abortion and diminish you know, the value of the lives of their children. Or women who are post-abortive after rape who regret aborting, you know, are really dismayed because, you know, again, they're they're using their trauma and they try to explain, no, you know, the the... Abortion was worse than the rape. It was more difficult to recover from that, that it was more violence in their body after having already been traumatized. Rebecca Kiesling is our guest, and she is the founder of Save the One and Hope After... I'm sorry, I, I, tell me the name of your of your other organization, Hope After Rape Yeah, Conception. and that's now just... We're really doing all of our work through Save the One Okay, now. okay. Well, and one of the things I wanted to talk about today, Rebecca, is helping clergy to understand and maybe even to be sensitive to not citing that 1%. You know, whenever I cite it, I try to emphasize that it is a crime. It is a personal tragedy in every case. And victims of rape deserve every resource, every bit of compassion, every, um, you know, support that we can we can give them, up to and including killing the children. Uh, and I didn't lay it out in that way. I didn't articulate it in that way as I was uh, introducing you. So I thank you that you, you keep me sharp <laughs> because these things matter very much. And well, I mean, but that, that is the, you know, the um, messaging from the leaders in the pro-life movement. To this day, it still is. 
Mm-hmm. And so they they need to be sharpened as well, in my opinion, uh, because I think that, again, the whole problem that I see for the church with abortion is that we are playing defense. If we were proactively proclaiming the truth, you cited Bible precepts, you cited theological bases for never aborting a child because the mother was raped eloquently moments ago. And yet we as a church are not proactively proclaiming that. Instead, we're still reacting to feminist rhetoric and picking up their talking points and then trying to be against those talking points. And it's just a losing strategy. So, And I, my organization, Save the Wanda Name, uh, that I, I had come up with, came from the terrible lost sheep. You know, Jesus said, see that you do not despise any of these little ones. And, you know, what a strange thing to, to say. Who would despise little ones? Well, my people group are despised. I mean, we're called demon seed, Satan spawn, devil's child, horrible reminder. Um, I, I, you know, we're told we're called rapist child, never rape victim's child. We always get described to the rapist and as belonging to him and not our mothers. And then um, I've been called rape trophy. I, I've been told if I cared about my birth mother at all, I would have killed myself a long time ago. Really, really horrible. We we are despised, and we're systematically targeted for destruction in, in the law globally. So, and then he said, for their angels in heaven always look upon the face of my Father in heaven, and he goes right into the parable of the lost sheep, how the good shepherd leaves the 99 to save the one. And he explains the parable by saying, for in the same way your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish and neither should we. In context, he was talking about the little ones who are despised, who are at risk of being killed. And there's no ground. Well, all the insults are so offensive, but there's no ground for devil's child. This is just superstition. This has nothing to do with biblical truth, and I just need to say that. Uh, Those those people who would invoke faith-based terms are without excuse. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's one of them was a pastor. He, um, oh. Bishop Paul Morton Jr. at a conference of a, a couple thousand pastors. He got up on stage and he said that you know, oh, you know, he denounced the Democratic Party for the position of abortion, but he said the get too far. And he's like, you mean to tell me a, a woman's pregnant with a demon seed? And he said, and he said it again, a demon seed, oh. not what God created. Like, oh. his theology, not what God oh. created. Like what? So the devil now has the power to create life. That's just so messed yeah, up. Yeah, where it's in so, the Bible does it say that? It's so wrong on every single basis. You know, um, I know you want to help clergy, and I do too. That's my heart. Uh, we're not here to bash. We're here to equip and encourage. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but I want to give you the chance to to talk about this whole thing for Roe v. Wade and the basis being a lie that Norma McCorvey had been raped. Um, I, I, I don't have a link for that in front of me, but I have researched it in my book, Cradle My Heart, Finding God's Love After Abortion, and you may be a little quicker on your feet with it. That, that's, that's the truth, isn't it, Rebecca? She was not raped. Yeah. They, they simply said yeah, I, that would play yeah. better in court, right? Right. I was, I, I wrote about it as well. Her lawyers told her to say that she was gang raped and that it would make her case stronger. Yeah. And her, by the way, 
I only learned this after her daughter came forward. She she gave birth to a daughter in that case, and it still went up to Supreme Court. Um, I found out when her daughter was interviewed, which it was on national news, um, I, I knew that the trial date was exactly two months before my birthday, the hearing in Roe versus Wade at the trial court level was two months before my birthday, May 22nd, 1970. I'm sorry, 10 months after my birthday. I was born July 22nd, 1969. Her daughter was born a week later. Mm. She was born like June 1st. She was full term when she went to court seeking an abortion. That's not in the footnote. You won't see that in Roe v. Wade, that she was full term and that... uh, you won't even see that she gave birth to a daughter because they'd prefer to dehumanize because as in war, it's already always easier to kill the enemy when you dehumanize them. Well, and the obvious implication for those who didn't catch it is she didn't have an abortion. You know, this right. woman who was the face of legal abortion empowering women never had an abortion. And her handlers and the people who took that case to the Supreme Court knew it couldn't be settled in time for her to have an abortion. Therefore, they exploited her. I I, I can't come to any other conclusion. Well, what's interesting, though, is that under the trimester scheme that they came up with in Roe v. Wade, she would not have even qualified for an abortion. Yes. Because she was full term. Yes. It's um, people really should read the history of it. Read Barnard Nathanson's book, Hand of God, about the propaganda and the fake news that he and Larry later created for that Supreme Court case. If you peel back the curtain, you will never support it because it's it's a house of lies from start to finish. And so how do we how do we open the eyes of clergy um, not necessarily along these lines, but they're more likely to be faced with a hurting individual, maybe a woman who's been raped and now she's pregnant and she comes mm-hmm. to her pastor, you know, and, and he he stands in the gap. And I know that yeah. you this is not, you know, theoretical. You have really encountered these situations and you've talked with people, yeah. you know, who've encountered these situations. Maybe some do's or don'ts or what's helpful or how yeah. how does the pastor proceed? And I wrote on the subject. So if you literally can just remember my name, Rebecca Kiesling, and you uh, Google Rebecca Kiesling clergy, you'll find my the article I wrote on the we'll subject. We'll link that in the podcast notes, too, also. Okay. So we had several women in my organization who went to their pastors, and their pastors gave them the green light for abortion. Um, in you know one instance, she had the abortion, and the others, they didn't. But... It, you, we we find over and over again that it's it's a lot more common. These women actually wrote about it. Many others in our support group said that their pastor said the same thing, gave them the green light, that, that God will forgive you. And we believe in forgiveness, of course, but, you know, if a woman went to her pastor and said she wanted to, you know, commit murder or she wanted to, uh, you know, commit adultery, is his response going to be, well, God will forgive you? You know, no, of course not. Uh, so it shouldn't be the same when it comes to abortion. Um, I think it's important, you know, not just when a, a, a woman comes and is pregnant by rape, but just regularly, 
there are people, you know, sitting in the in the pews who are hurting. People like me who are conceived in rape, who, you know, want to know, like, who am I? Why am I here? Um, you know, what is my value, identity, and purpose? Um, I found my identity through Christ and in Scripture. You know, knowing that I was created by God in His image for a purpose. There was actually a woman outside my church in the parking lot who was upset, didn't want the church taking any kind of position on abortion. And she brought up rape, and I, I told her my story. And then, and she was still arguing with me over it. And I asked mm-hmm. her, well, did, did God not create me? And she sat there and thought about it, and I, you know, and I said, what are you thinking? Like, where in the Bible does it suggest that Satan creates children? And then she says, all right. I'll give you that. <laughs> like, uh, wow. Okay. Give credit where credit is due. I mean, mm. you know, God and I thank you. Um, and then I said, well, and did God not create me for a purpose? And then again, she stopped to think about it. And then she responded by saying, I just think that God creates some children for the purpose of being aborted. Wow. Wow. Oh, so not biblical, so not biblical as to just be something yeah. else, anti-biblical. Mm. Wow. And so I, I think it's important for pastors to teach this, that every child created for a purpose, whether they were conceived in rape or adultery, you know, or a single, you know, fornication, like, right, a single mother, out of wedlock, um, any situation. Uh, an underage child, um, you know, I mean, okay, interestingly, and, you know, I'm a family law attorney, and shortly after becoming an attorney, in Michigan, they changed the Paternity Act to the Parentage Act, but the legal definition of child remained the same, child born out of wedlock, and in the 70s, it had been called, before they changed it to the Paternity Act, it had been called the Illegitimacy Act. And the legal definition of the child born out of wedlock was illegitimate child. And we stopped doing that. Well, you think that's bad. In the 30s, before it became the Illegitimacy Act, it had been called the Bastard Act. And the legal definition of child in Michigan, and I know many, if not all, states around the country, was bastard. That was the legal definition of that child. And we stopped doing that. Um, but, you know, in the Bible, like, Jesus, he was the least of the least. I mean, you know, Mary rode into, you know, was brought into town and, and went on in the middle of the night, you know, and there was no room at the end. Well, this was like the census was going on. All of Joseph's family should have been there. There should have been some family that they could have stayed with, right? Mm. But they weren't welcome, and they were not married yet. Right. He wasn't supposed to marry her until after Jesus was born. So Jesus fit that definition, you know, and illegitimate. And so he knows what it's like to be looked at as the least of the least. And uh, pastors need to teach that. There's a lot of hurting people, people who were like me, who need to know that their lives matter, that they're valuable. And so then when a woman becomes pregnant, she's you know, by rape or any other difficult circumstance, she's already heard the message, you know, that that this child matters, this child's valuable, this child is a gift from God, 
this, this her baby is a child of God, you know, not a child of adultery, not a child of rape, not a child of, you know, polygamy or whatever else is going on around the world. Right. But, you so, know, and her child. Right. So when you when a pastor would green light and let's talk about the dynamics in play there. There may be ignorance. Really, he has not really thought it through. I don't think seminaries teach very much about abortion dynamics, and probably not right. this aspect of it. There may be ignorance. There may be uh, the desire for a quick fix. He feels overwhelmed. This is too complicated a problem. What am I going to do? Help her have a baby and raise a baby? I can't suggest that because I know I can't do that. So, yes, abortion. Or is it, you know, sort of this counterfeit compassion, like she's really hurting and this will help? I mean, I, I, I there's there's just yeah. the, what is the mindset? So and, and if it, we and, and the reason why I want to pinpoint the mindset is because that may help us, you know, find answers and alternatives. Yeah. It's interesting you brought that brought that up about what are we going to do help raise the baby? In my organization, there are women who became pregnant by rape and left their church because of like the lack of compassion. Sure. Um, and and then there were other women who their church did a baby shower for them, did a fundraiser for them. The church, wow, what a concept. Right? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, or where the elders got together and decided to give her some financial assistance. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, there are, um, you know, there are churches that really get it right. Right. Uh you know, at the very least, if you feel like you're ill-equipped to help under those circumstances, make sure you're connected to your local pregnancy resource center. You know, make sure you know that you can send her there and they'll help her with a baby shower or, you know, the clothing closet or help her to get assistance through the state, you know, whatever she might need. Um, and step foot in your local pregnancy center. Make sure you go visit there. You know, bring... Bring some diapers with you. <laughs> um, but you know, it's amazing just for anybody. There's a lot of supporters of their local pregnancy centers. A lot of donors attend the banquet, but they've never stepped foot in the center. You know, I encourage people, go see it. Whenever I travel around speaking for fundraisers for these centers, I go to the center and visit. And I take pictures and I put pictures of these clothing closets up on you know, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, and people are amazed, like, wow, look at all that. Yeah, you should go, you know? Um, Because then it will be at the forefront of your mind once you've visited. Rebecca Kiesling is our guest, and she's the founder of Save the One. And as she mentioned, if you're just joining us, she has a database of, was it over 1,100 people conceived in rape who are now speaking out and proving that their lives have value despite the circumstances of their conception? Is it 1,100, Rebecca? 1,100 conceived in rape and mothers who became pregnant by rape, Mm. and that includes mostly mothers who are raising their children, and then we have some birth mothers from rape and women who regret miscarrying after rape, and then post-abortive from rape and they regret aborting. Uh, The miscarried one's interesting because they, they connect with us, they search it and they find us and they come to us because everybody else says, well, you should be happy. Uh, And they get zero compassion whatsoever, like, because everybody else is like, well, you should be relieved. I don't understand why you're upset. 
you know, like, because that was the one good thing that came out of this. Like, a lot of women express that they feel like they had a little angel to keep them company. They feel like someone who was a, a co-victim along with them. Mm. And, and that's, when you put it in those terms, it's so clear and so understandable. I think one of the, you know, guilt, anytime a child is lost, the universal parental reaction is guilt. And because it's easier to feel guilty than to feel like there's a random universe that just where babies just die. And, you know, in the cases of miscarriage, especially, right, you can do everything right and lose the baby. And so I I totally understand this, but I think the vast majority of people just don't. And so uh, that's lovely that you've included that category to help soften our hearts and make us sensitive to the pain around us, even in church. You know, I think, I, I don't know, I think... We've got only two minutes remaining. Uh, one of the big problems I see is that pastors are just blinded, not in my church. Well, we don't have that problem here. But, uh, Rebecca, as as you've so clearly stated, it's everyone's problem, especially because we're all called on to vote for laws and candidates and policies. And as long as we keep rape exceptions, we are not doing that God's way. We're not doing it with justice. Rebecca, what else, what else would you say in your minute remaining to those who'd like to know more about Save the One or uh, take, take some positive actions and steps? Um, well, Save the One, it's the number one, not the word one, savetheone.com, and we have you know, Facebook and what have you. Um, we have hundreds of blogs, and, and we also represent the hundreds who are told, well, we have hundreds in our organization who are told by doctors to abort. So we specialize in defending all the so-called difficult cases in the abortion debate. Um, I would say, you know, when you're willing to sacrifice a child conceived in rape, that's exactly what it is. It's it's child sacrifice, and it's an abomination. And um, the heart of God is that he's not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Thank you, Rebecca, so much. So beautifully said. Learn more at cradlemyheart.org. Our guest today was Rebecca Kiesling from Save the One. This is Cradle My Heart Radio with Kim Katola, preventing abortion and helping those it hurts. Please get in touch with Kim. Find out more at cradlemyheart.org. You can listen to the podcast on all platforms.